0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1104.
1: One of the things that I value a real lot is, is integrity.
0: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, calling in from Australia, Paul Mathers. Hey, Paul, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: I am strapped in, Mark. Let's go. All
0: right. Paul Mathers is the event director for Motor Classica, Australia's most prestigious classic motoring event, attracting over 23,000 automotive enthusiasts annually. His passion for cars was realized when Exhibitions and Trade Fair hired Paul to envision and deliver the first Motor Classica, the Australian International Concorde Elegance and Classic Motor Show, which has taken place in Melbourne since 2010. Paul's passion for automobiles goes way back to his childhood. In fact, he still owns his first classic, a Jaguar Mark II, that he purchased some 30 years ago. Paul's career has seen his manage some of Australia's largest events and expos, In addition to Motor Classica, his current portfolio includes Australia's largest capital city 4x4 outdoor show. So, Paul, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment, share a little bit more about your career and a very obvious passion for old automobiles?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think it's luck that brought my passion of motor cars together with my career of event management. Um, I sort of started life... uh, It's been a long journey to get to where I am. I started life as an officer in the Navy and then became an actor. And then I got out of that and into production and event management. And uh, I've been now running expos in a variety of industries for about 16 years. But it was Motor Classica, I guess, that brought... Together, um, my passion for creating really great events, firstly, and, um, and my love of, of classic cars. And I think that, um, you know, it's a privileged position when we can, um, when we can take our, our private passion and incorporate that into our professional passion. I, I don't think a lot of people get to do that. So I, I think I'm pretty blessed in that respect.
0: Well, absolutely. That's what Cars yeah is all about is people who figured out the secret sauce to life. And that's wrapping their passion for cars and automobiles and trucks into their business, their careers, their lives. And and that's what you've done. And a quick shout out to Stacy Puckett. She connected us. Stacey's a past guest here on Cars. Yeah, I've known her for a long time since she moved up here, or she lived up here in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, I think uh we're going to have some fun because this week, this show is airing during Car Week in Pebble Beach, and you're down here with me. I'm down here. We're all having fun. So... uh we're going to have a great time today. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Paul, take the wheel.
1: Well, that's a, that's a really interesting question, Mark. And um if I had to stretch my mind for quotes, I find it very difficult because I'm not that, you know, I'm not one of these people that has a personal mantra or has some philosophical figure that has said something incredibly worthy that I uh, sort of base my life or credo around. I I sort of, I tend to be guided by some pretty sort of humane um, principles in life, I think. And I think that if you can get them right, then that's a recipe for success. And, and one of the things that I value a real lot is, is integrity. In today's world, there's a lot going on, and it's very hard to find people with integrity. And I think that when you do find them, they're, they're the people that you want to be with. They're the people you want to um, surround yourself with. And um, and I, I sort of tend to put integrity to the forefront of everything I do. If something or somebody lacks integrity, then that's a big that's a big kind of red light for me to kind of not go there or to, to proceed with, with a great amount of caution. So I, I suppose if I was to say, you know, what, what, um, what guides me, what, what inspires me to move forward, it's that sense of integrity with what you do, with what you say, with how you interact with people and, and how you take that into your everyday life probably.
0: I can only imagine how important that is with what you do because you're involved in putting in mass or putting together mass events that involve many, many moving parts. A lot of people, a lot of people that you're counting on to come through for you and for your team and for all of your guests that come to these events. When I go to, to events like this week at Car Week, where there's all these cool events, Concorso Italiano, Pebble Beach, the Quail. I mean, uh, the Carmel Concord, I just sit back in awe that these events ever come to fruition, because you know, because you work in the industry. Yeah, but integrity, yes, because uh, you've got to rely on people, right? Otherwise, everything can fall apart. Well, I think, yes, you've got to rely and
1: you've got to be able to trust. And sometimes you've got to trust people that you don't know. And you've got to rely on them to trust you as well. It's all very well to sell them the sizzle. And the, the most ordinary salesperson can do that, but if you can't back that up with, with that level of of, of integrity and, and, I suppose, transparency and, and a fair bit of discretion as well, then you're not delivering to people. You can't earn that trust. You can maybe achieve something once, but you can, certainly can't achieve something 10 years in a row or 15 years in a row. And yes, you know, as you can imagine with these car events Particularly, you know, you've got very big car events in the United States. Motor Classica would be one of the biggest here in Australia, probably the Southern Hemisphere. But even with Motor Classica, you know, there are so many stakeholders, whether it's the collectors who put their cars and motorcycles on show or whether it's the sponsors or whether it's the exhibitors or whether it's the car brands that are involved or whether it's, you know, the champagne partner, whether it's the visitors who pay good money to come and see the show, whether it's the volunteers volunteers or the car clubs that are involved. I mean, we would have, you know, there's 23,000 people that come to Motor Classic each year, which in terms of visitor attendance makes it one of the biggest in the world. Um, of course, we've spread it over three days and that allows us to do that, but there's, there's so many more behind the scenes that help to bring it all together and, and all of those people rely on you and not all of them know you personally. Of course, when they do get to know you, the job becomes a whole lot easier. There's a sort of a, a suspension of, I, I think there's a, I think that what what happens is people have to suspend any um, um, fears that they have, and, and they mm-hmm. have to sort of say, well, okay, this, this person, I'm going to trust this person, and, and you can't abuse that trust. You have to treat it with integrity and discretion, and you have to really honor those people that choose to trust you.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, I'd be remiss to To uh, also mention the the Laguna Seca historic races that are taking place this week out here. Incredible cars, race cars. What fun. Well, let's talk a little bit about you. Go back in time and talk about a story that instigated your personal passion for cars. Now, I know you've been into cars for a long, long time. My goodness, you've got a a car you've had for 30 years, the first classic. Kudos to you for hanging on to that. Most of us aren't that smart. Tell us about a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were going to be a car guy.
1: It's interesting. Cars are a really emotional thing for me. I know that there's people that see them as a, a, a fiscal arrangement or they're very practical and pragmatic about their cars. I think the reason why I've had my my Mark II for 30 years is because I just can't bear to let go of it. There's been cars in the past that I've let go of that I probably regret that I did. I, I was thinking about this over the weekend and I, I thought to myself, you know, I'm not really from a car family. I don't have, you know, a whole bunch of car people in my family. But if I think a bit deeper, I thought, well, geez... I was never without cars in Mm -hmm. my life. You know, when I was very, very young, I used to be taken to demolition derbies and speedways with my dad. And and of course, we have a a big race over here, the Bathurst 1000, which back in the 70s was called the Hardy Frodo 500. And, you know, lots of great uh, racers have raced at that event. And it was the one event that I was allowed to miss Sunday school for, to watch on TV, I remember, as a little boy. And so all of that racing was something that was very much a part of my childhood. And, you know, I'd try to replicate that myself by building billy carts. And we made, goodness me, probably dozens of billy carts through the years when I was a preteen. And that's where it all started. So... I don't know if I had this pivotal moment when I became a car guy or I realised it. In fact, I probably only realised that I was a car guy all along over the weekend when I was prompted to really think about the question. Um, <laughs> motoring is a, a, a really big part of Australian culture and I think it's a big part of American culture too but, you know, Australia is a very very big country and there's a, there's a big distance between capital cities and, and even, even sort of capital cities and small cities so whenever you want to go somewhere for a holiday or, a, or a, a weekend away, you're always driving, you're always driving really long distances. And, and because right. of those distances, Australia was a very early adopter of um, motor cars. Was a very large export market, particularly for English cars. Um, Vauxhall, I know, for example, in the 1910s and 1920s, its biggest ex- export market was Australia. It's funny, you know, we unearthed at Motor Classic cars every year that we, that have been here for their entire lives, Rolls Royces and Bentleys, which were bought back in the 19, 19- Teens and twenties, let's say the pre World War II era because, and they were used on farms because they were reliable motor vehicles. So they were cut down into utilities and, and, oh for hauling <laughs> hay, that sort of thing, you know, I mean, yes, it was very practical to have a car was very, very important and it has been for the whole history. So I'm telling a very short story in a very long way, I suppose, but I think that, you know, I've been a car guy all along without even realizing it. And, of course, there were moments in life that sort of um, sort of highlight the different changes of direction my car passion has taken. But I was never one of those kids with the Lamborghini poster on the wall with the, the woman draped across the hood or anything like that. I, I wasn't that kind of car guy. I just had it sort of in a more visceral way, I suppose.
0: Huh. Now, for those of us in the U.S. that are not sure what a billy card is,
1: Oh, um, a soapbox, do you call them soapbox carts?
0: Or? There you go. Soapbox derby cart. Yeah, sure. Is that what they're called? They, they yeah, don't have an over engine. they yeah. just got wheels. Yeah, over they go there. downhill. Yeah, that's and, what they're called. Yeah, And you usually
1: crash to end the, the race. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Well, I just wanted to make yeah, sure some yeah. listeners
0: were probably going, what is he talking about? So what now we've got it all that? figured out. Yep, yep. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Well, let's take a look at some of the many roads you've driven down or talk about a challenge or even a failure you face. We learn from these things. That's why they're so important. So walk us through one time in your life and tell us how that experience helped you gain some more momentum in your career, in your life, and your business.
1: I think that there's probably been many challenges in in life. I think that we all have lots and lots of challenges and some of them are are bigger than others. You know, two years ago, I was diagnosed with a a cancer and um, that was a pretty, yeah, that was a pretty kind of pretty mean wake-up call and, um, you know, I'm fine and, you know, luckily I didn't have to go into any sort of um, chemotherapy treatment or anything like that and, you know, I, I... Keep going on with my monitoring nowadays, and, and that's a that's a longer road that I've got to hoe. But I, I suppose what that did was it, it woke me up in a sense that that I had a responsibility to talk about these things. Australian men don't talk about health very much. They don't talk about their emotions. It's um, considered to be um, you know not manly in our culture, and um, it's a really unfortunate thing. And people, men, when you know we get these. These sort of things that happen to us, we we tend to bottle them up inside and and uh, not seek help or ignore them or, or at, work, at best you know not talk about them at all. And I suppose my wake up call there was that I have a responsibility to talk about these things and not just about the sickness, you know, um, about other things that happen in your life that maybe. People don't talk enough about, you know, there's a, there's a great conversation going on in Australia at the moment about bullying children and online bullying and, and this sort of thing. And, and uh, it's probably going on in the US as well, the same sort of conversation. And it's really prevalent in society. And, and I think back, you know, I, I was bullied, you know, I was bullied as a kid and, and it was swept under the table and nobody talked about it. And that wasn't because there was any kind of malice in not bringing it to light, it It's just that no one knew how to have the conversation um, and nobody wanted to be first to have the conversation. And so I think that... When I look back on those pivotal moments in life, those those little turning points where you can take one road or you can take the other, the road I'm I'm trying to take now, I suppose, and, and the way I've been woken up is that um, is that take take the harder road, you know, take the road that, that requires talking about it, that brings things out into the open, that shares the problem, because you know if I've got a problem, I'm probably not the only one with it, you know, I'm not Robinson Crusoe, there are others. Out there, and you know, sometimes all it takes is to reach out, or, or for those people to know somebody else is dealing with that same thing. Society would be so much better if we had a conversation rather than an argument about things. Um, you know, there's lots of oh my goodness. You look at the political situation around the world at the moment, and and all you read about is left versus right, and I, I can't stand that. It's not a debate, even. It's an, it's an argument. It's, a, it's, a, it's an argument that completely is lacking in any kind of logic and humanity. We're all people. Let's forget about this leftist and rightist thing. You know, let's let's have a conversation. Let's talk about where we've got commonality rather than where we've got difference. And, uh, and I think that that's what I've learned. It's a, it's a big lesson to learn when you're 50, and it, it requires... Thinking about the world in a completely different way, but um, I think that there's probably a little lesson in that for everybody.
0: Oh yeah, I'm you know I'm glad you brought this up, and thanks for sharing a really personal time in your life. And I'm so happy that you're fine now. Uh, but yeah, monitoring things. You know, your story brings up a great past guest I had here on cars. Yeah, Debbie Baker. She's the president of a organization of an event called Cruising for a Cure. She lost her husband very quickly to prostate cancer, and it was something, and that's a cancer that men get that they don't talk about. Nobody wants to talk about it, it seems like. And she now puts on a show where there's 3,500 hot rods show up, and they do free screening for men at this event, and she has literally saved hundreds of lives by men going up and getting a quick little blood test, and some of them having found out, oh my gosh, I might have cancer, And they did. And they got it early, and they're still alive, and they're still in there. And the fact that she brought this to the forefront and used cars as the avenue to do it that opened that door for a lot of guys that didn't want to talk about it was pretty amazing. So for those listeners that didn't listen to Debbie's show, yeah, go back and listen to it. But I appreciate you taking us down that road, and I'm so glad you're healthy and doing well today. Let's shift gears, though, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a... A career aha moment, because you're doing something that a lot of people, they go, oh, my gosh, this guy gets to travel the world and go to events and learn how to put on <laughs> events and put, I mean, yeah, living the life, right? As if it were easy. We know it's not. But on the outside, it <laughs> looks like a pretty glamorous deal. Tell us about a big career aha moment that kind of changed the direction for you that had great
1: meaning. Well, I'm not going to lie, Mark. Sometimes it is glamorous. <laughs> the best thing about coming, <laughs> the best thing about coming to Car Week um, in the United States is that. Yeah. Um, Well, I get to represent my own event, which is really, really exciting. And then when I get to go overseas and I talk about Motor or I'm I'm surprised how many people have actually heard of it, might have seen photographs of it in some of the motoring press and and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So that's really great. And, you know, I can... Suspend my life at home for a week or so, and and mix with some you know pretty interesting people. So it can be glamorous, and motor classica too. It can be glamorous as well for the people that are in, involved in it, albeit you know to. A, to a smaller extent, because we're a much smaller market over here in Australia. Uh, and, you know, the, the group of cars that are here locally or within sort of easy travel distance, uh, it's a smaller pool. And, you know, we have a lot of political issues, which mean that cars get sold and never come back and all of this sort of thing, which is really unfortunate. But I suppose like old moments this is a really interesting one and tell me if you if this is your experience too mark because i'd be really keen to know i had a really hard time getting the first motor Classica together it was very very difficult the industry or the movement the classic car movement over here in australia said that it couldn't be done they said that it had been tried before you'll never get the support to do it there aren't enough cars in australia australians can be very very negative when it comes to new ideas it's it's unfortunate but it's it's true and so we had not necessarily a lot of opposition to this show, but certainly not a whole lot of collaboration and buy-in. And mm. um, it wasn't until we actually got it going and, and you know, the company that I, I worked for lost a lot of money in, in putting it on, that, um, that sort of we just we realized what it was that we had. And I think the light bulb moment for me was that um, – the first motor classic ride walked around, and I sort of wanted to see how people were going to react with this new event that we'd created. And and what I saw was generations, you know, three generations of mostly guys, you know, granddad, dad, and son, for example, yeah. walking around this event, talking and telling stories. And um, uh, yeah, you know, they'd yeah. stop at a car, and and dad would say, "Well, um, oh, you know, I remember." Well, you know, dad, when you had that car and, uh, yeah, your granddad had that car, Billy, and oh, really? One of these? What's this? You know, and, and <laughs> yes. they started this whole kind of. History recreation at the event. It was like, you know, when we were, when, we, oh gosh, not when we were young, my goodness, like generations, thousands of years ago when we were all in tribes, people would sit around a, a fire and they would tell stories, and, right, and that's right. how histories were passed on. And it, it occurred to me that here we had created a forum that was essentially that fire pit. And people were telling their histories around it. And it suddenly occurred to me that this isn't a show about cars. This is a show about people. This is a show about communities.
0: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, Absolutely, Paul. Um, I have learned after 1,104 talks now, with you being that numbered guest, that this, this thing that is cars, this car hobby, the car industry, the car passion, everything about it, when it is stripped away, it's really about the people, and this car week in Monterey is always about the people. It's the people you see you haven't seen for a year that are an instant friend, the new people you meet who become instant friends, and the stories they tell about their cars, their race cars, their collector cars. I mean, that is what it is all about, and uh, you hit the nail on the head. So, it's exactly and it's what you meant to do.
1: There's no class there you barrier go. Yeah. either. Yeah. You know, the cars tend to break that down. And I can proudly drive one of my humble collective cars, you know, park it up next to a, a mate who's got a McLaren F1. And, uh, yeah. you know, we can have a, a conversation and, uh, and yes. a drink or, or a coffee or, or whatnot. And for that moment in time, we're completely equal. And, and I, I love that because that's nothing that was planned. You know, I don't think that if I'd have pitched to my boss at the time, oh, let's create a show that brings like-minded people together to just, um, you know, find some common ground and, and have a Is chat you? and share the history. You know, they would have thought I was crazy and sent me off to some asylum, but, but that's what <laughs> ended up being created. And that was a real light bulb moment for me. And so, you know, as we move forward in developing Motor Classica and other events that I work on too, it's a light bulb moment for a lot of um, my professional development. I think about, you know, how do you put the people first?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you hit the nail on the head again. I've been fortunate enough to be asked to be a keynote speaker at uh, many events. One of the most recent ones was the Forest Grove Concord in Oregon that took took place last month. And that's one of the things I talked about was that cars and car shows and car events cross all social economic barriers. It Everything about politics goes away. Everything about who you are, how much money you have or you don't have goes away. Um, your race, your color, your gender, whatever, your sexual prowess, whatever it might be, or your choices, <laughs> they all they all dissolve away, right? And it's just car people yeah. that are enjoying yeah. a passion together. It, yeah, that is the joy. And it's very unique. I've learned in the car industry and the hobby uh, as opposed to other ones. So I'm so glad you brought that up. But you brought up something else, and that is cars. And I want to ask you this question and have a little bit of fun. What was your first really special car? Maybe it was that Jaguar. We can talk about that and maybe share a special memory about it.
1: Well, look, it was. It was a a special car, and the circumstances surrounding me getting that car were fairly special as well. I was um, 20, not turned 21 yet. I was serving in the Navy. Uh, I was doing my supply officer's course down in um, in the far south of Australia at a place called Western Port in the state of Victoria, which is, is south of Melbourne, where I'm calling from now. I, it, was, it was the Queen's birthday long weekend in June, and one of my very good friends was having a birthday party in Brisbane, which is about... Two thousand kilometers away from where I was at the time. (laughs) It was a long weekend and we decided a group of us that we were going to hire a car and drive up there and we'd, we'd end up having about eight hours at the party before we'd have to turn around and drive back. We thought that was a great idea, road trip. Well, suffice to say I never made it. We had a a big accident and the car rolled and was... um, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's sort of around dawn on the Saturday morning. We'd left on the Friday afternoon. I got about halfway to a little town called Moree, which is way out the west of of New South Wales. It's a bit of a one-horse town with one hospital. And I was laid up in that hospital for a couple of weeks with um, three fractured vertebrae. Oh. And Yeah, yeah, not what you expect, right? No, and, no. And um, my parents came down to visit me from Brisbane, which is where they lived, and my mum and dad, they'd gone out and they'd seen the car in the police yard and they'd seen that it was totaled. And uh, my mum came and sat by the bedside, and, you know, she was a, a typical mother and she was grateful that I was going to be okay. And, and uh, she said the strangest of things. She said, you know, I saw that car that was all written off she said, I, "I can't believe cars are like that nowadays. There's just no substance to them." She didn't know what crush stones were or anything like that, but like <laughs> yeah, that. Right. She said, oh, "I yeah. don't think you should be driving cars like that." She said, "What you need is a good, solid car, like a jaguar." Now, I, I don't know where that came from. I, I, yeah. I honestly, to this day, don't know where I, where it came from. But I, I thought, oh, yeah, well, you know, I can see myself in a Jaguar. And, yeah. um, and I held it to it. So um, I had a few weeks <laughs> of convalescent leave after that. And uh, I was at my parents' home recovering from the accident. I said, so let's talk about this whole Jaguar thing. And uh, clearly, Mum had started something that she didn't know how to finish there. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and uh, I got together with my uh, my dad's cousin, his name's Scott. And coincidentally, I'm bringing him to Car Week this year for the first time. Anyway, he was a bit of a Jaguar enthusiast. And he sat me down with his big book on a history of the pictorial history of Jaguar, I guess. And he said, well, if, if you're going to drive a Jag, we need to find out what kind of Jag guy you are. And so I thought, okay, well, that's a that's a fair call. So we went through the whole history of Jaguar from the SS all the way through. And, and you know, I saw pictures of XK120s and E-types. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I'd be kidding. I'm kidding myself. I think I'm going to get one of those. And uh, anyway, we got through to the end of it. And he said, so what do you think? And I said, I really like that one, which was a Mark II, thinking I could never buy one of those. He said, yeah, well, you'll get one of those. And I, I think we, um, he said, let's, let's keep a look out on the classifieds because there's no internet then. Let's wait till my Saturday paper comes out and we'll check the classifieds. And over the next couple of weekends, we were calling each other on the phone saying, oh, what about this one? What about that one? And anyway, long story short, we found one. We paid $5,000 for it in 1988, it was, mm-hmm, and yeah. uh, then restored it over the course of about seven or eight years and, and paid a whole lot more than that. Anyone that's ever restored a, a Mark II <laughs> yes. Jag knows that you'll spend a far far more restoring them than you'll ever get back selling them. Um, yeah, but, yeah. you know, that car's been great to me. It's it's had a really strong emotional significance. I lost my mum a few years ago, so the chances mm, of me ever sorry. selling that car have, have you know, diminished even further I, I think. Right. Right. And and so it's very close to my heart and it's a it's a special car. I, I drove it as a daily driver for twelve years and it was up still a fantastic car. I've driven it right up and down the east coast of Australia, through the mountain, through the the, the snowy um, alpine ranges, down the Great Ocean Road, where the, the Twelve Apostles are—all you know, famous driving roads here in Australia. Yeah. And that that car, touch wood, has never let me down. Um, uh-huh. It's always been a fantastic <laughs> car. And now, after thirty years of ownership, it's about to go into its its second restoration at my hands. So, um, yeah, it's been a great car. And, and like I say, when you've got something that's, that's so emotionally attached to you and, and, and so fixed in a certain time of your life as well, it's, it's hard to let those go.
0: Yeah. Well, thank goodness your mom said that at your bedside. What a nice thing for her to do. (laughs) Little did she know what she was setting you up for.
1: (laughs) It set me on a path. That was, that's for sure.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, Maybe this next question, there's no answer to it, and that is seller's remorse. Is there a vehicle you've let go that you really wish you still had?
1: Are you kidding me? Don't we all have those? (laughs) Okay. Um, I've got stories of of cars that I've let go, and then I've got those remorseful stories of cars that I never bought that I should have Oh, bought. well, yeah. Yeah, we've all got and, those nasty and, stories. Oh, yeah. They're, and they're they're painful stories. Uh, but, but the one that I let go that I wish I didn't let go, uh, and this might be a bit hard for a US or audience to, to understand because you won't know the car, but um, the big Australian brand is is Holden, which is part of General Motors. In the 60s, they produced a, a model which was an upgraded from the previous model. It was an EH model, EH Holden. And at the time, it was the most popular Holden ever built. It's quite an iconic car. Now, I had an EH Holden station wagon that I literally swapped... My master Astina, the one with the pop-up headlights, which I always thought was like a 944 or something like that. Uh-huh. I, I, I literally swapped that with a friend for his EH old Station wagon. This car that I, I got was, um, was a one-family car. It had been garaged all its life. It was in pristine preserved condition, not a bit of rust on it, lovely paint job, beautiful interior like it had just come out of the factory. I really loved that car. and, and And it belonged in a moment of my life when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, it was a, a time before I was settling down. Um, I was I was an actor at the time. I was working as an actor, so I didn't have a lot of money, but I had this really cool car. And <laughs> uh, as it turns out, I sold it because I had no money. <laughs> and I I sold it for a, well a lot less than it was worth. And and funnily enough, the, those cars nowadays. Something in that condition would pretty, probably be worth, oh, goodness me, 20 times what I sold it for now. Sure. Um, they're big mistakes, those kind of mistakes. But, you know, we grow up, we move on, and life goes on. And hopefully another opportunity presents itself when you do buy something and, you, you know, all the stars line up and, uh, and then it can be yours.
0: Well, the E.H. Holden, if I recall right, when I think of that car, it kind of reminds me a bit of a Rambler kind of mixed with a Ford, even a little touch of a Chevy in there. I mean, it's got kind of some design elements that come off of some of those 60s cars. It's kind of cool. I mean, it's 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 really got a, a personality to it.
1: Oh, yeah, they were very cool cars. I mean, this was the first car with the red motor in it, so they had... The, the grey motor, which was the less, the smaller, less powerful motor, and, and all of a sudden the EH AH came out with the red motor, and, and that was a big deal. I think that styling's a. A GM styling so they probably come a little bit from Chevrolet although they yep. were manufactured and, and designed over here so they did still have an Australian feel about them but you know they were a big long heavy car with drum brakes and you know yep. they were hell to drive in the rain and the rain and traffic and drum brakes you know that's not a good threesome no, to be a no. part of <laughs> um, <laughs> very cool, very cool. And, uh, but it was a great car you know and, and I loved it I I really loved it. There were still drive-ins in those days, so you could back your car up onto the little mound at the drive-in, and it had a, a split tailgate You know, that opened upwards and downwards as uh-huh. well. You could open that up, and you'd have your, your duvet in the back and your p- stack of pillows, and you could watch a film the drive-in And it was that's that's what they're built for. It was a great car. Well, I would love
0: for you to tell our listeners a little bit more. If they were fortunate enough to attend a Motor Classica, what is the event all about? What would they see?
1: Well, Motor Classica, I, I suppose, is... I don't like to say that it's Australia's version of something because I think that what has evolved with this event is, is something that's really uniquely Australian and, and very much different as much as it has... It has as much difference as it has in common with some of those big events like Pebble or, or, or like Villa Desa. But what you're seeing at Motor Classic is, is you're seeing Australia's interpretation of those types of big car events um, we attract cars from all over Australia and 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 some from overseas as well, although still in small small numbers at this point. But I think we've we've got maybe 150 to 160 cars on the floor in the Concours this year. Each year we celebrate special classes in much the same way as as the other. Uh, events do but this year our hero class is uh, the the 90th anniversary of the Australian Grand Prix. Now the Australian Grand Prix is one of the longest running uh, track races in in the world and uh, Australia like I say has has got this really strong not only motoring history but motor sports history as well and so the Australian Grand Prix uh, a lot of very famous people have raced it before, before it became part of the international series when it was in the Tasman series so we've got cars that were driven and, and raced and won at the hands of people like um, Jack Brabham, Bruce McLaren, Jim Clark, Graham Hill, um, Nelson Piquet is, is probably the most recent one we had from 1981, and sort of going all the way back to 1928 where we've resurrected the very first Australian Grand Prix winning car. So that's a really exciting group of cars that are involved in this year's show, and we're, we're looking at different other marks as well. We're celebrating celebrating Cadillac and we're celebrating Art Deco cars, we're celebrating micro cars which as you would know have become very very collectible over the last 10 years and there's an incredible display of those that, that we've put together. So w- this is this is Australia's big motoring event and strangely it exists at a period of time where there's no actual Australian motor show. The Australian International Motor Show like your Detroit Motor Show or, or like Geneva, it, it doesn't Exist anymore? Uh, manufacturers have found other ways to promote their cars, other than you know buying exhibition space and putting on a big show. And whilst that's very sad, we've kind of become the winner now at Motor Classic, and because a lot of those high-end marks. Um, have tended to use Motor Classica as a place to unveil their new models, um, which is really very exciting. And we're currently talking to another a number of manufacturers at the moment about doing their unveils at Motor Classica this year. But but what can you you expect to see? Well, you can expect to see the best collection of cars, collectible cars, in Australia this year, all under one roof in a beautiful 1880s built. Victorian-era exhibition hall, the Royal Exhibition Building, which is the oldest exhibition building in the world that's still being used as an exhibition building. Um, It's a beautiful space, and anyone that's, you know, picked up a copy of, um, you know, Octane or um, or Classic and Sports Cars, some of those magazines, will have seen coverage of Motor Classic and, and, and cars in that beautiful old building. And that really sets us apart as well from a lot of other international events which are outside, But we have lots of different elements um, wrapped up in Motor Classica too. So there's not only the Australian International Concours d'Elegance, but we have a tour on the Thursday morning which sees many of those cars drive through the city. We have um, an area called Club Sandwich in which we bring in a whole bunch of car clubs from around Australia and they do club displays of their cars. And, And what we're striving to create here is something that's, It's very inclusive. You can have a VIP experience at, if you wish, and be wined and dined all day, and that's very, you know, high end, I suppose. But you can also just be a regular guy or girl that loves cars and come with your, your, your family and enjoy a really great day out with some fabulous automobiles and, and hopefully learn something along the way. And of course, the other thing is we, we have taken it upon ourselves, I suppose, to leverage Motor Classica to help younger people gain their first exposure or experience of classic motoring. So we've introduced a schools program, for instance, that is designed specifically to introduce school kids from the age of sort of 12 through 15 to their first experience of of classic motoring, whether it be as a collector or investor, or whether it be as as some kind of trade that works on those cars or designs cars. And so this is a very interactive opportunity for young kids to get involved. I mean, we've all got our first story of how we became involved in classic cars, and so I, I suppose motor classica for the, these kids becomes their first story of how they became involved in cars. But it's a great event. There's a lot of people come to it. It's, it's well loved and it's embraced um, by. It inspires and it's inspired by. If you if you're a regular at Pebble Beach, um, and you came to. Motor Classica, for the cars alone, then you may feel that it's a little bit wanting, I'll be honest, because we don't have that critical mass of very, very, very special cars that might go to an event like Pebble Beach, which is 60-odd years old. Um, We're we're not even 10 yet, and I'm sure that we will get to that point. Australia, as I have said before we started talking, it's a long way away from anywhere. But um, I think that if you came to Motor Classica for the event, as opposed to just for the cars, but for the experience and for the event, I think that you'd find it genuinely um, up there with the rest in the world. It's it's a very exciting place to be in October.
0: Absolutely. And a reminder, listeners, you can find a link to the website to learn more about Motor Classica on show notes page on the Cars Here website, or just go to Motorclassica.com.au. All right, Paul, here's a very introspective question for you.
1: If you were a vehicle, what would you be and why? <laughs> well, I wouldn't be Australian. I think that, you know, I'm a bit kind of, oh, I can be a bit sort of conservative and stuck in my ways a little bit. I think I'm probably old and English, but I think I've got a bit of edge as well. Okay. So I think I'd probably be something like a, a three liter Bentley or, um, A Or maybe like a 1930s Lagonda Rapide. You know, something that has a bit of class, something that is a bit establishment, but also something that's got a bit of balls about it.
0: Ah, There you go. There you go. (laughs) Well, Paul, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior? Is with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right, 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered, commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage, go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garages built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. All right, Paul, we are back and we're entering the last lap, the lightning round. This is where I fire off a series of questions and you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Buy now. <laughs> do now. <laughs> Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years?
1: Yes. Yeah, surround yourself with people that know more than you do. Um, that's the best way to learn and the best way to get the best result.
0: Absolutely. Great advice. Now, how about a resource? There are awesome resources out there these days. Is there one in particular you really like that you would share?
1: There's some fantastic stuff on the web at the moment. I think that, you know, websites like Auto Classics, we've got one here that's based in Australia, Motorsport Retro, fantastic resources and and a source of great news.
0: Now, if I could wave a magic wand and arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that person be? Can I have two? Oh, sure, uh, why not? I'll, I'm feeling I'll, very generous <laughs> today.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll say Colin Chapman and Graham Hill.
0: Ah, two two British, yep, uh, guys that uh, yeah, definitely would be fun to talk to.
1: Stories. Yes. Oh, yeah, they'd so be I great can, to talk to, I think, yeah. Could
0: you imagine? Oh, my goodness. Now, how about a book? Is there a book you've read that you think our listeners would enjoy?
1: Look, I've got to be honest, I'm not reading a lot at the moment because most of, my, most of the reading that I do is research. But I did see a great film, and I, I do watch a lot of films. Huh? I, I really recommend the, the McLaren film, the film about the life of Bruce McLaren. I oh, saw yeah. it just over the weekend, and it's a fabulous rendition of a guy that achieved so much against so many odds and just died, like many of them, far, far too early.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great film. Listeners, I'll remind you, you can find all these great resources on Paul's show notes page on the Cars yeah website. Just go to com, type in Paul Mathers. The spelling of his last name is M-A-T-H-E-R-S, and that page will pop right up. All right, Paul, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy. This is going to be a tough one, but it might be an easy one based on the Jaguar. But you know what? I'm going to make a little exception for you today because it, your story about your mom kind of touched my heart. I'm going to buy you any cool collector car today. Normally, I tell my guests they have to only they have to get rid of any cars they have and only have one. I'm going to take the Jaguar out of the equation. You can keep that. Park it in the corner. I can't make you get rid of that. <laughs> but I want to know that if I could buy you anything and money was no object, what would it be? And here's the deal. You have to drive it. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with. I want you to go out and enjoy it. So what can I buy you today, Paul?
1: Well, you know, you're such a generous guy, and, and I really love that about you. You know, I knew it oh, from the moment we, we first started talking, Mark, that, uh, that uh, <laughs> you're a pretty special kind of guy. Oh, the, the, the key to this is you've got to drive it, and there, it's no, look, there's no contest for me. It is another Jaguar. It's an XKSS, I'm afraid. Um, oh. Which I just think is the most special car that's ever been built. I love the story behind it. I love that Steve McQueen drove one. I love that Steve McQueen sold it and then bought it back. You know, that's how special he thought it was. And, and, you know, um, I'd be quite happy to take his advice on cars. But, you know, I think it's also a car that you can drive And I could get invited to great events to drive it there. Um, Just such a very, very special car. I'm not a 250 GTO kind of guy, um, you know, but but (laughs) gosh almighty, if I could have that in my garage, I'd be the happiest man alive, I think.
0: Well, I think so. Now, you know, for those of you out there, probably most of my listeners know this. Of course, it was the road-going version of the Jaguar D-Type race car, and I think it was built in '57. If I'm not wrong here, but um they didn't make many of those cars, so might be a little hard for me to find one for you, but I think I can do that. But yeah, that car is just it's just got a personality, it's got a life of its own. It's uh just a wonderful, wonderful little roadster. Um I, I could yeah, see you really cruising special. around Australia. Yeah, really special for oh, sure. For sure. I'll get to work on that for you, Paul. You've taken me on a great (laughs) ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey about Motor Classic and all the fun you're having with the Cars Yeah audience and calling in all the way from Australia today, which is pretty cool. Could you uh, offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off maybe onto the Gold Coast and that XKSS
1: Jaguar? (laughs) A little bit of advice. I would say don't, don't get caught up in the minutia of life. You know, I think that probably eighty for most of us, anyway, eighty-five percent of life can be pretty ordinary or sleep. Most of yep. life is waiting in queues or having a fight with your partner or not getting a good night's sleep or not being able to find a toilet when you need one. I mean, life is just full of all <laughs> those all that crappy stuff. But if you can hold on to that fifteen percent, that really great fifteen percent that is gold in your life. And celebrate that and remember it and keep coming back to it. and Live for that 15%. I think you've found the secret.
0: I think so. Nicely said. And again, what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about Motor Classica?
1: Well, the best way is is, uh, our website, motorclassica.com.au. You can follow us on Facebook as well or on Instagram. Just type in Motor Classica and uh, and that'll be it.
0: Absolutely. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Paul has shared. On the Cars Yeah! website, on his show notes page, just check it out. Paul Mathers, I would suggest, if you're going to be anywhere in Australia, this is in October, is that right?
1: That's right. It's the 12th to the 14th of October.
0: There you go. Uh, you've got to go down and uh, experience Motor Classica. What fun. Yeah, in come comes uh, Absolutely. And Australia is just a, a place in the world that is full of genuine, awesome, great people. Never met anybody from Australia I didn't fall in love with, so uh, you guys are just great down there. Paul, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and for sharing your experiences with our listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. You take care of your cars.